everyone. Happy New Year. All right. Um, so excited about things that we have planned for this upcoming year. Uh, we have some really great uh, activities and uh, some things that we'll be announcing here in the coming months. Uh, excited about uh, the work that many of you are doing in our community. And, uh, and I would just uh, to encourage you to keep pressing on. Amen. Uh, even when sometimes it seems like you don't see fruit or you don't see things coming off the tree, uh, I just say to you to keep pressing. Amen. With the word of the Lord. Amen. We're starting a new series this morning. I'm pretty excited about it. The kids are as well. They, they have a cooler thing going on than we do called the Beats, and I'm really excited about that. I'm short for the Beatitudes. Our series will be called Made New, and we'll be talking about the Beatitudes. Uh, without further ado, though, let's jump right into this text this morning. Uh, if any uh, announcements come to me, or further announcements, I'm sure, uh, hopefully they'll come to me uh, before, I, before I forget. Uh, but I hope you guys have had a, uh, a great holiday season. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, to our text this morning. It'll be the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Huh. Amen. Not the chaos makers. Not the destructive makers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And when he says because of me, He's also meaning because of the work that you may do in his name in the world. Sometimes people don't understand it. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. God's word for God's people. So we're beginning this morning a conversation on the Beatitudes. And, we're, and each Sunday for the next several weeks, We'll be talking about each beatitude and unpacking it. And then also at the end, I'm really excited about the end, we're going to give you all some experiments to do during the week. This is going to be fun. It'll be interesting to see who does what. So we're talking about the beatitudes. These are not just cute, sentimental, 
hallmark sayings here. But the Beatitudes are a manifesto of the kingdom of heaven. This is a constitution of the kingdom of God. This is the uh, manifesto of God's kingdom. Now, here's the thing. This is the beginning of uh, what has been called the Sermon on the Mount. The next two chapters, Matthew 5 through 7, this is uh, distilling the core teachings of Jesus. And it's amazing. You go to church your whole life and not even know the core teachings of Jesus. Right? We can tell you seven ways to get your blessing, how to get to the next level, and all this other stuff that you see on Christian television and Christian media, but it's amazing to me how many Christians do not know the core teachings of Jesus Christ. What we're actually inviting people into, what we are actually teaching people. We have all kind of extraneous stuff we're teaching folks. But it's amazing how many people don't even know what they're supposed to be discipled into. It blows my mind. But I want to say this. You know, when you think about a manifesto, what quickly comes to mind is the Communist Manifesto, how revolutionary that was in Europe and even to this day. When you think about a constitution, you think about the United States Constitution, uh, this founding document that helped provide the basis for the United States of America. So with this Sermon on the Mount, this Beatitudes, this is Jesus' manifesto for the kingdom of God. This is the constitution for the kingdom of heaven. A manifesto is a written statement declaring publicly the intentions, the motives, or views of its issuer. This is what a manifesto is. How many of you got a personal manifesto? I would suggest writing one for yourself. Right? I wrote one years ago. And it's amazing how much I didn't accomplish in that manifesto, but it looked good on paper. But uh, I would suggest doing that. What are your intentions in this world? What intention, what motive do you bring into this world? Write that stuff out. Name it. But this is what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes. Let's get back into the text, right? Back to Matthew 5, 1. I want you to notice something here. Verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds. Hmm. Now we're talking about made new, right? We talked about this last week, how when Jesus enters into the world, into our community, when he isn't, enters into the church and he sends the church out into the world, Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. I am bringing transformation and healing and reconciliation into the world. Right? And like we said last week, Christianity is not an evacuation project. But that God was in Christ reconciling all things back to himself. That Jesus himself said, if you're confused, you no longer have a reason to be confused anymore about what Jesus is up to. Jesus says, I am making all things new. No confusion here. And so Jesus, what he does, and I love Jesus, 
the first thing he does, he says he saw, the writer of the gospel says he saw the crowds. He saw the suffering. He saw those in his community. He was paying attention to the world that was around him. And in seeing this suffering and seeing the people, because if you go back to the verses before that, Romans, uh, Matthew chapter 4, I'll just read this real quickly. It gives you a context. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all, 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 all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds came from Galilee and Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan following him. Now, this is interesting because the imagery there is that Jesus is doing his work. He is making things new. He is healing people. He's giving people hope. He's teaching them the gospel. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the people that he draws to him are a diversity of people. There's sick people. There's well people. There's healed people. There is... Jews and there's Gentiles, there's people from Decapolis. These were Gentile people. So Jesus is drawing to the mountainside people who are both Jew and Gentile. Not just one group. This is important. And Jesus sees this. He sees this sea of people. And this next move is interesting. He says, and he went up on the mountainside. He went to the mountaintop. Sometimes when you're in the community and you're in, you're thinking about your family, you're thinking about the community around you, and when you go out into the world and you see what's happening in the world, one of the best things to do before you dive back into it is to go to higher ground. When you see it, you got to go to higher ground so you can see it from a different perspective. Because sometimes when you're in the muck and the mire and you're in the midst of the thing that you're called to be a part of, when you're engaging people, doing things in the community and in the world around you, your perspective can get a little warped. I deal with some people sometimes, and some of you know me, who are very angry about the world around them. And one of the things I had to do was, and some of these were leaders, they're very angry about the injustices that happen in their community, rightfully so. But sometimes their anger takes them over. And their perspective gets warped. And everything they say is toxic and it's angry. And I found myself being around people like that all the time. And I found myself being angry all the time. And I was like, man, God, it's okay to be angry. James Baldwin says to be a Negro in America is to be angry all the time. And I totally get that. But I had to go to higher ground, y'all. I had to go to a higher place. I had to go with God. I had to say, God, I understand the injustice. I understand what's broken in that community. But God, I want your perspective. I don't want to become the thing that I'm fighting. That's what happens. See, brothers and sisters who are not in the gospel, when they engage in dealing with demonic forces in the community, when they begin to fight like the devil... And don't even realize it. 
They become the very thing that they're fighting. A mirror image of the thing they're fighting. That's why Jesus says, bless your enemies. Don't kill them. Because when you kill your enemy, you become like your enemy. That's why in the 20th century, in the 21st century, the greatest and most deep and lasting social change that we've seen in the world, and I, I can back this over history and scholarship, has been done through nonviolent movements. People choosing not to be like the forces, the oppressive forces that are in their world. They chose to take a higher ground. What does this have to do with us? Getting all deep and historical on us and everything. This is important because I want you to understand what Jesus is about to launch when he's saying, I'm making things new. Now, the thing is, he, he, so he goes up to the mountain and it says he sat down. Now, this is interesting because in uh, Jewish culture, Jesus is known as a rabbi. It says in the, in, the, in the previous chapter that I just read to you, the previous verses, that he taught in the synagogues. He was seen as a master teacher. He was seen as a rabbi. He understood the law of Moses. He could say it in his sleep because as a little boy, he was probably taught the law of Moses. He probably knew it by heart. He recited the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is a rabbi. And so in first century Palestine, when a rabbi sat down. When he sat down before his disciples, before his community, there was a saying that what he was doing. The saying was that he was sitting in the seat of Moses. Now, what's the significance of this? So the belief was, when the rabbi sat, Moses was talking to the people. <laughs> it was as if Moses kind of reincarnated and sort of mediating through the people. So when the rabbi sat down and he's reciting the law of Moses to the people, the people saw it as Moses actually teaching them. So they saw it as the same spiritual authority and power and ability to teach they saw that was on Moses. They understood to be on Moses. When the rabbi sat down, he began to say the words of Moses. It was as if Moses was teaching them again and again. <clears throat> One of the things that we see... <clears throat> in the Gospel of Matthew is that there is some kind of comparison between Jesus and Moses. The New Testament belief is, is that Jesus in some way, somehow by the power of God, is a greater Moses than the Moses in the Old Testament. Not that he's better than Moses, but that he's greater than Moses, that his scope is much bigger than Moses. And in this scene right here, when Jesus goes to the mountaintop and he sits down at the seat of Moses, he begins to teach the disciples. If you recall, if y'all ever seen The Prince of Egypt, 
Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, right? Y'all know what happens when Moses goes to the Mount Sinai, right? What happens? What happens? Come on, y'all. When Moses goes to the mountain in Mount Sinai and God speaks to him, what happens? He gets what? Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah. He had the tablets, right? Y'all remember that? And he dropped the tablet and he broke and he had to go back and get some more and all that. Right? And he came back down. The people was acting crazy. They had to go back and get some more. And he's like, I'm telling God, get these people. And, right? And so for Jews, when this happens, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he comes back down the Ten Commandments, the nation of Israel is, becomes formally a nation. Because up to that point, they were just a band of different families that were kind of traveling together to different places. They were in Egypt, and then when they left Egypt, they were traveling to the desert. And this is when God says, you know what? I'm going to form a, out of these slaves that have left Egyptian oppression, I'm going to form this nation. And so there will be a nation of people that, there will be a nation of laws, the Ten Commandments, and all these other laws, right? Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and so forth. So through Moses, God creates a nation of people of a particular group of people. And so here we are. Centuries later, Jesus sees the crowds of people, and the crowd of people are not just Jews. It's everybody. He calls everybody, right? Sick. Oh, well, Jew, Gentile, he calls them, and they follow him now, and they follow him, and they're at the bottom of the mountain. And so he goes up, his disciples follow him. Now, see, this is the thing about being a follower of Jesus. Now, this is a question for church folk. Will you be in the crowd, or will you be one of the folk that walk with Jesus up the mountainside? Oftentimes in church, we have a crowd. There's nothing wrong with the crowd, because sometimes in the crowd, you may be people who are in a different season or whatever, at different places, and they make it to the point where they're ready to go up the mountainside. They're ready to go up to higher ground with Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus. But don't, don't, don't down the crowd, because there's something about Jesus that has captivated them. People ask me all the time, especially my more conscious brothers and sisters, he's like, if they understand, you understand history and all this kind of stuff, how are you still a Christian and a black man? It's a miracle. It is a miracle that black folks are even Christians. I ain't going to lie to you. It's like Jews are still Jews. Like, it's a miracle that these folks still hold on to the God of Yahweh, the Yahweh, God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, right? It is a miracle given the fact who introduced us to Christianity in this continent. It was slave masters. Right? It's, it's a miracle. But there's something about the story of Jesus that captivates me. Something about Jesus himself that captivates me, that, that draws me to him, that wants to me to learn deeply and to grow closer to him, that wants to follow him. That's when you know you're heading to higher ground. Right? Some people are a different place. Some people make a cost-benefit analysis of what it's like to follow Jesus. Well, if I follow Jesus, I'll get this. You're still in the crowd. And that's okay. If, follow, if your relationship with Jesus is based on cost-benefit analysis, 
hey, that's all right. At least you're making the cost, you're considering the cost and the benefits of following Jesus. That's good. You could be not doing that at all. But what I'm telling you is it says the disciples went up to the mountain with him. And he began to teach them. And so Jesus is this greater Moses. Sitting at the seat, sitting at the seat of Moses. And the word there sat down means cathedral, which in our Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, they took it to another whole level with the Pope when he sits ex cathedra. Then that's the word sit down. The word sit down literally is the word where we get the word cathedral or cathedra or seat that you sit in to speak into and to speak with the authority of the one who established the seat. So Jesus sits in the seat of Moses. But Jesus takes it to another whole level, y'all. And I wrote this down. You see, Moses built a nation. But Jesus brings a whole new world. <laughs> Moses with the Ten Commandments establishes the nation of Israel. People who were formerly slaves caught up in bondage and oppression. And he brings them out of Egypt and he sets them up with the Ten Commandments that God gives them and he establishes a nation. But when Jesus shows up, sitting in the seat of Moses, about to declare to be attitudes, Jesus is not giving birth to a nation. Jesus is giving birth to a new world. So Jesus becomes not just a better Moses or a greater Moses. Jesus becomes global Moses. <laughs> Let me put it another way. We got any business folk up in here? Jesus takes redemption to scale. <laughs> but beyond a particular ethnic group, beyond a particular nation, Jesus takes it to scale. He becomes this cosmic Moses, this global Moses who is sitting on the seat of, uh, of Moses, and he is declaring the things. He began to give a vision for a world, for individuals and persons and groups to be participating in, to be a part of. So through Moses, a nation was born. Through Jesus, a new world was born. Now, here's the thing about the gospel, y'all. You know, we do this at Bible Lab several times. I know those who participate in Bible Lab over the years, they kind of get tired of me doing this exercise, and it's like probably beat down inside. I'm like, okay, here we go again, right? There's this whole thing about the gospel, right? The gospel is not, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? Jesus didn't say that. Some 19th century Protestant revivalists said that. Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, the Bible says Jesus went through preaching. You look this up for yourself. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15. It says the Bible says that Jesus went through all of Galilee preaching the gospel, doing signs and wonders and so forth. And he's, it says he's preaching the gospel, proclaiming this, this being the good news that to repent and believe this good news, and what's the good news? That the kingdom of God has arrived. That the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has showed up, and the kingdom of God has showed up through him. 
Simple, isn't it? Ain't no seven laws of this, a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think, you know, for the track riders who write tracks and leave them in the bathroom stalls and truck stops and things like that, y'all encountered that before to leave tracks, right? I think this right here will be a smaller track. The good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. <laughs> right? You know, of course, we got to unpack what that means. But this is the gospel that Jesus preached. And so when Jesus is proclaiming in the Beatitudes, he's saying, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up in your city. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up in your life. This is how you know that the kingdom of God is present in your world. And like we said before, it's really, it's really cliche. It's really, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, um, fashionable now. Uh, what's the other word? Fashionable. It is, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I might have lost for words. Trendy, yes. Thank y'all. I'm at a loss of words. <laughs> That's crazy. It's trendy to say that we're building the kingdom of God. But nowhere in the gospel, nowhere in the New Testament, and I would even say the Hebrew scriptures of which our Christians call the Old Testament, there's nowhere where we're told to build the kingdom of God. That's some American Christian stuff, right? Because Americans, we build stuff. Well, we used to build stuff, but we don't build as much stuff as we used to, right? But Americans are known to have built stuff, so, you know, we, we take Christianity and we warped it into this kind of American gospel where we tell people that we're called to build the kingdom of God. Kingdom builders, you know, we see this line, and I'm not trying to down talk any of that, but I'm not trying to be maintain faithfulness to Scripture. What Jesus said in relation to us in the kingdom of God is primarily two things. Can you see it and can you join it? We are never told by Jesus to build the kingdom of God. We're called to see it and to join and to participate in it. Because if you think you're building the kingdom of God, that leaves too much room for the flesh. Too much room for the ego. Look how we're building the kingdom. Aren't we awesome? No, you didn't build the kingdom. You build your kingdom. Not the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is already here. The question is, can you see it? And if you can see it, are you able to participate and join in the movement of the kingdom of God? Can you see yourself in the midst of it, being used by God to join in it? And so Jesus says, you're blessed if you're caught up in this kingdom. And this is how you know you're blessed, the word blessed there. It's like a blessed state. And, you know, the English translated happy. But it also means contentment, a sense of well-being. So it is to be the Beatitudes are really about what it looks like when the kingdom of God shows up. And people ask me, well, what is the kingdom of God, Pastor Anthony? This ain't really deep, y'all. This really ain't deep. We made it so all weird and 
uh, esoteric and strange. Y'all want to know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is the world as God intended it to be. Mm. Let me say it again. The kingdom of God is the world as God intended it to be. The Bible says God made the creation, the world, and he called it good. God made the world and what the intention for God's creation of the world was to be a world of shalom, of love, and peace. The kingdom of God is God showing up to make the world become that which he intended it to be. This is why when Jesus shows up, sick people are healed. When Jesus shows up, ignorant people are educated. When Jesus shows up, those who use their power wrongfully are corrected and told to address and, 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 and to redistribute their resources back into the community. Because this is not the world as God intended it. God did not intend the world for other people to gain wealth and power off the back and oppression of other people. That's why I find it strange when people say they're preaching about the kingdom and they don't even address the brokenness that's in the world. And how all of us are, part, are called to play a part in bringing about and participating in the kingdom of God in our community. Y'all, turn to your neighbor and say, these Beatitudes are serious. I wish I could give you a cute hallmark sermon this morning. But I can't because Jesus is making a new world. And part of being a Christian, the word Christian literally means little Christ. Literally, little Christ. If you're called to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, part of your job is to be used by Jesus to make your part of the world new again. To make crooked places straight, bring high places low, and bottom places, valid places up high. It's to reverse the things in the world. Moses created a nation. Jesus is building a new world. And so what does it look like? So Jesus, we're just going to do the one today, and we're going to finish here. The first one that he says is this. This is Jesus saying, this is how you know the kingdom is showing up. This is how you know people are blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do you know that the kingdom of God is showing up? How do you know where the kingdom of God is operating in the world around you? Wherever you find people who are poor in spirit. He's not saying become poor in spirit so that you get the kingdom. He's saying because the kingdom shows up first, then you'll see people who are poor in spirit. So this ain't about how you're going to get yours. This is what happened when God has got his. I have no American gospel today. 
This ain't about what you can do to get yours. This is what it looks like when God got his. When God's got you. When God's got you, you are poor in spirit. And if you're poor in spirit, Matthew says, they got the kingdom. They got it. They understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has invaded their life. The kingdom of God has come and set up shop in their world. Because they're poor in spirit. What does this mean? Does it mean you got to sell everything and take a vow of poverty? For some people, they're called to do that. Right? Like, you know, you got Martin Luther King Jr. of the world. You got, you know, you got people like Mother Teresa. Right? I don't know if any of you know this, but uh, Dr. King took a vow of poverty. When he died, he didn't have a penny to his name. Any of y'all even knew that? Some of y'all knew that? Right? Did y'all know, like, when he went on his campaign in Chicago... Uh, to show, the, uh, to expose the, the, the racism and the housing laws in Chicago and some of the things that were happening there. He actually lived in the ghetto. He lived in, in, in project housing for a year by himself, in a, like in a project house. Like, it'll be like me and Tony moving to civics and living there for a year. Did y'all know King did that? I know, I have a dream. I know, I know. We'll see if that king is talked about this year. But he's talking about something much deeper than material possessions here and what you have and what you don't have. He's talking about something that's deep, latent in the heart. That's why he says, the poor in spirit. Now, this is revolutionary. It is, it is according to the writer uh, Addison Hart, he says, it is an interior quality of openness and emptiness, not full of oneself. So to be poor in spirit is to not be full of oneself, but to be full of God. Mm. To be poor in spirit is to be emptied of the ego. And one of my good friends, Russell Swilly, always says this. He told me this one time. I never heard it put this way before. He says, young man, you know what ego means? Anybody know Swilly, you know how he is. He says, young man, you know what ego means? And I was like, what, what Swill? He says, uh, easing God out. See, those in the kingdom of God, those who God can use to make the world new, those who God uses to rehabilitate the world, to heal the world, are those who have not eased God out. Those who are not full of themselves. Those who are not just for themselves. But they're here for others. They see the crowd. They see what's going on. These are the blessed ones. The ones who are poor in spirit, but rich in God. It is not to be full of oneself. It is not to ease God out. It is to recognize that we depend upon God. That we are, you know, we got the philosophy majors here, that we are contingent beings. 
beings that depend upon God and not just God, but we are contingent beings. We depend upon each other. We depend upon the creation. This is counter to the world in which we live in where we're taught to be rugged individuals that we don't need each other. Like you just, you know, you hear these stories about I'm a self-made millionaire. I made this. I done this. I remember I went to a, a conference recently, and uh, me and Dustin, I was texting, me and Dustin went to this conference, and we went to different shop, workshops and things like that, and we kind of were trying to strategize where we were going to go to get the most bang for our buck, you know, and uh, some good stuff here. So I was like, okay, this guy had this thing going on about discipleship, and so I went, and I'm sitting there way in the back and, you know, towards the door, so it started getting weird, and I can just, you know, I can leave, right? If you go someplace... And you're not really sure about it, do not sit up front. Sit in the back towards the door. Right? So the first thing this guy says is, I'm going to teach you guys about discipleship. Now, I was never discipled by anybody. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you can't live this life without being accountable to other people. Right? I'm accountable. I can't just do whatever I want to do up here. Right? I depend upon others that look at my life for it's good. Like Dustin, man, Dustin are real close. We're good friends, right? If I do something crazy, I don't want Dustin coming to me, hey, man, I'm doing something crazy. Hey, man, you're blessed and highly favored. You're doing great, man. No, he's like, hey, bro, <laughs> what you did was crazy. You need to repent. That wasn't right. You shouldn't have done that. If you got people in your life that are afraid to tell you the truth, one, you got to check your friendship, but two, you got to check yourself. What are you doing that, what kind of air are you putting off that your friends can't talk to you about the truth of who you are? I'm talking about your friends now. I ain't talking about enemies and crazy people out there. I'm talking about people that know you. Because everybody knows me. I got close people I talk to. Man, how was the sermon this week? Man, you, you know, you jacked up the illustration, man. You could you know. And I love that because I want to be a better preacher. A better father. Because those who are in the kingdom of God, the blessed ones are those who are poor in spirit. They recognize their dependency upon God, but also they recognize their need for others around them. I need y'all. Because I'm blessed. And then another writer, John Shea, Catholic writer, he says the inner blessedness of the human person is manifested in many ways. When blessedness knows it is poor in and of itself but rich in God, it lives in the world as God intended. My God. See, to live in the world understanding that, I that I'm interdependent with other people is to live in the world as God intended. Why? Because I understand that my life has implications for other people's lives, that my life is interdependent with other people, that what I do affects other people. It's kind of like a butterfly effect, right? Y'all heard this in physics? Like if, if a butterfly is flapping his wings on one side of the world, and on the other side of the world, that just that little flapping of the wings causes a hurricane in the other part of the world, right? It has a butterfly effect. Those in the kingdom understand that their lives have impact beyond themselves. 
This is why accountability is so important. It ain't about trying to get in folk business, but it's like saying, hey, we're in the kingdom together. We're here to make things new together. We're here to be a reconciling body together. So that's why we got to hold each other accountable. Not to judge each other, not to put each other down, to ostracize each other, to disenfranchise each other, but to hold each other accountable to the virtue of the kingdom of God. Let me continue to quote. When blessedness mourns, we talk about mourning next week, but what he says is it lives in the world as God intended. To be poor in spirit is to live in the world as God intended. It is about putting God's kingdom first, the things of God first before all things. He's not saying that you put God's things first and other, you don't put anything else second or third. He's saying this is just what comes first, and then other things will trickle down from that. See, when you don't put God first, you don't put the kingdom of God first, other things are impacted. You can't live raggedy and then put God on and expect your life to be different. I'm challenging myself with that. Everyone here. This is why we have community. That's why we have labs. That's why we have all these different things that we do. And we kind of, you know, you know going through the holidays, things kind of got kind of, you know, slowed down a little bit, but things about to pick up again. Right? So one of the things that we do is being a blessed people, being a kingdom people, is being connected with each other, being understand that we're interdependent, that we're connected with each other, and that we're a people that's putting the kingdom of God first. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one of these folks that, you know, this morning, some of you may have seen it, uh, the Salisbury Post got me. They uh, listed their 10 people to watch in Salisbury. Right, so this is a big old spread on Salisbury Post. I got my big old ugly mug up there on my big old head. Like, man, I should have got a haircut. And then listen to some of the things that we're doing in the community, whatever. And my first thought was, sure, and I'm being, God is my witness, my first thought was, wow, they get to hear about the work that I'm doing with other people. You know, people are going to be asking me about the Truth, Healing, Equity, and Hope Commission to bring about racial reconciliation and justice in this community. People are going to be asking me more about, people are going to be knowing, knowing more about the Peace Circle, the work that Tanya Miller Cross is doing. People are going to want to know more about Mission House and how we're participating in the mission of God to mobilize an army of love in this community. So it's about us together on this road. Those who recognize that we need each other because we're poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Now, uh, to help us to dive more deeper into that, I have a couple of experiments that I want you to do this week. Uh, this is separate from the fast. Please keep the fast going. Those who are participating in the 21 day, 21 day Daniel fast. This is going to be exciting. Uh, but we have some kingdom experiments. You can choose one out of the three. Or you can choose all three. You can choose two. 
right? I'm still trying to figure out. I'm definitely doing number three. Can everybody read this? I'll, I'll read them out to you for those who can't read it. It says, uh, I can actually read, you know, I, I forgot my glasses this morning, but it's big enough where I can see it, so. Uh, kingdom experiments. The first, the first experiment is 10 items or less more. Now, everyone has the luxury of choosing between fettuccine, Alfredo, and chicken parmesan. So go, shop, grocery, go grocery shopping and then donate everything to the local food pantry. And don't just camp out at the canned food aisle. Right? So that's one experiment. I want to challenge you this week to actually do this stuff. Right? Because this is about becoming poor in spirit. Because one of the things about becoming poor in spirit is to think of others, to do things for other people. And the fourth experiment I should have put up there was go to Peace Circle this week at Mean Mug on Fulton Street at 6.30, okay? The second thing is be a blessing. Out in the uh, lobby, I think we still have these. We have what we call pay it forward cards or bless it forward cards. I want you to at least pass out 10 of those. But the thing is, when you, when you pass out 10 of those, you have to bless someone in some kind of way. I want you to at least pass out at least 10 of those this week to be a blessing. And the third one, I'm definitely doing this one. This is going to be crazy. I did this uh, a while back. But it is this. Sleep on the floor for a week. Consider how life might have a different focus. If this week, in this, in this week's routine, if you're feeling extra adventurous, go without the comforts of warm water. In many countries and places, freezing showers are the norm. That's right. Brr. And so the fourth one, I would say, go to a peace circle this week. And I'll repost those on our Facebook page and social media so you'll know. Uh, but these are ways just to jump into the kingdom of God. These are the ways to open us up, to empty us, so that we can see the kingdom of God at work in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhoods, in the world around us. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you right now. God, we thank you for this op opportunity to come and worship you this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus, who died for our sins, who lived a faithful and righteous life for us who opened for us a new and living way. God, we thank you for this greater Moses that he was, this global Moses, oh God, that when he spoke from the seat of Moses, God, that you called him and spoke through him this vision of the kingdom of God. God, we're so grateful and honored, oh God, by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit that we can join in into this movement, God, that we can participate in the renewal of things in our world around us. God, fill us afresh, God. And for those of us, oh God, and myself included, if we are too full of ourselves, God, teach us how to empty ourselves. Empty us, oh God, as the psalmist said, God, give me a new spirit, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me, God. Within us, God, let us not be subject and be mastered by our egos where we ease you out, God. But God, help us this week 
to recognize our dependency upon you, God, and upon our other brothers and sisters and community members, oh God, and to the creation that is around us. God has helped us to see and to be poor in spirit this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Go this week. Be poor in spirit. Bless others. Live into the kingdom. Make things new. Honor Jesus. Call your brother or sister and pray for them. Amen.